Hey, Redemption family, thanks for tuning in today. We hope this message encourages you. Be sure to tune in live on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at rttnchurch.com. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. I only need one verse of scripture this morning to finish and, uh, and complete my assignment. I want to go to Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. When you got it, say amen. Therefore... Just as through one man sin entered the world, and now death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. Death spread to all men because all have sinned. Can you say that with me this morning? Death spread to all men because all have sinned and I want to preach for a moment today on this thought victory over the virus victory over the virus look at your neighbor tell your neighbor say neighbor victory is available for the virus amen Father, we thank you today for the Word. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing of joints and marrow and soul and sunder, and it discerns the thoughts and intents of our heart. Today, we believe that the flower fades and the grass withers, but the Word of the Lord shall abide forever. Father, we're thankful that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we're thankful today, God, that the word of God is a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. So quicken the word because your word is sweeter than the honey in the honeycomb. Let the preacher come and make the word come to life today. Spirit of the living God, it is you who preaches the word through your preacher. So we pray today that you will come and may Christ be preached and his name be magnified. May the devil be terrified. I pray right now for victory to come in this house and the people of God to leave with a song of joy on their lips. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. This past week, probably like many of you, I spent a portion of one of my evenings glued to the television, trying to educate myself regarding the truth of the COVID-19 virus, otherwise known as the coronavirus. It's affected the entire world, and the latest CDC numbers as of this morning indicate just over 107,000 people worldwide have contracted this contagion and been infected with this virus and tragically of those who have contracted the virus 3,652 have died and succumbed to the side effects of the virus. It's pulled a curtain of concern across the nations of the earth. I sat there in amazement as I considered that this one microscopic uh, visually untraceable bug 
has been plastered on the front page of every newspaper. It is the talk of every news agency. In fact, in some countries, the feeling that this virus is leaving is apocalyptic. You go into a store and shelves are empty of common household items that you're typically able to get any time you want. And yet now the shelves are empty because of the fear of this virus. The travel industry has been thrown into chaos. Airports have become ghost towns. Planes have been parked in hangars. Cruise ships have docked and become floating hospitals for those who have been affected by the virus. Borders to countries have been closed. Travelers have been refused re-entry into their country of origin because of this menacing virus. The virus has caused tremendous fallout in the financial sector. Shocking to realize that in one week, six trillion dollars of value and wealth erased because of the fear of this virus. And just to think that this past week our president and Congress joined together to sign a bill, $8.3 billion bill to help stop the spread of the virus and to help nations overcome its impact. The virus has caused relational trauma. Families have been quarantined, separated from society, friends separated from friends, family members separated from family members. In fact, I was sharing with Devin last night, I read a story this week from the Washington Post about an 89-year-old man. His name is Gene Campbell, 89 years old, living in the Life Care Center of America in Kirkland, Washington. We're there. Nine elderly patients contracted the coronavirus, and sadly, seven of them died. Gene was quarantined into his room and was not able to come out of his room, even though he had not contracted the virus. And one day this past week, Dorothy, his wife of 60 years, came to visit her husband like she does every day, only to be notified that she could not enter the life care center because it had been overrun with the coronavirus and the front page of the Washington Post is 88-year-old Dorothy Campbell on her cell phone looking at her husband through his first floor window in the life care center of Kirkland, Washington. You see, everywhere you look, you find the ramifications and the, and the results of this virus. Governments are busy doing all they can to protect their people from the virus. Doctors and scientists are working feverishly to discover a cure and create a vaccination that will help curb the impact of the virus. You and I are doing all we can with common sense procedures to deal with the threat of this virus and to keep it out of our homes and our lives. And in time, many scientists think that the temperatures will rise and spring will spring and the virus outbreak will begin to subside and perhaps we believe life will finally get back to normal. But this morning, I am concerned about another virus. This virus is a virus that has been transmitted to all of humanity. It's a virus that touches every race. It's a virus that touches every nation. It's a virus that touches every culture. 
It does not regard the color of skin. It does not regard the place you are on the socioeconomic ladder. It isn't conscious of your past and is not concerned about your future. This virus won't be covered tonight on 60 Minutes. This virus will not be on the front page of the Washington Post. This virus has a mortality rate of 100%. Everyone who contracts this virus, Paul would tell us, will die. James reminds us that this virus in the end will produce death. And I am talking this morning about the virus of sin. Sin hatched in the mind of Satan. Sin, a spiritual viral invasion that struck first in the Garden of Eden. Sin, transmitted through Adam to all of humanity. Sin, the spiritual virus that destroys families, ruins destinies, and robs people of God-sized possibilities. Sin, the deceptive, heart-hardening virus that distances us from God. Sin, the virus that causes our life to show the symptoms of shame and regret. Sin, the virus that carries the side effects of despair and hopelessness. Sin, the virus that makes a son or a daughter break the heart of his mother or father. Sin, the corrupting core of humanity. Sin, deceiving even the wisest of scholars. It is John Calvin who reminds us that all of us who have descended from impure seed are born infected with the contagion of sin. Sin corrupts governments. Sin enslaves people. Sin kills your purpose. Sin separates a person from God. Sin destroys families. Sin will make a fool out of its victim. Sin, sin ruins a good name. Sin draws you in. Sin sets you up. And then sin tries to take you out. Sin is chronic and it is terminal. It kills 100% of those infected. Many men come to a recognition that they are infected with this virus called sin and they lose all hope. But I came out of my office this morning and I have to tell this house that there is a cure for this contagion. There is victory over the virus. There is hope for the hopeless and the hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you today of a very old story that is still very powerful when we tell it. Jesus, born of a virgin. Jesus. Jesus, the son of the living God. Jesus, who lived a 33-year life of sinlessness, walked the road to Calvary, bore our sin and our shame on his back, nailed every failure we would ever commit to his cross. They wrapped him in grave clothes, put him in a tomb. But the good news is on Sunday morning, sin was conquered, Satan overcome. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? I came to announce today there is a cure. There is an answer. There is a solution. His name is Jesus. And how many believe he's still doing what only Jesus can do? Somebody give him praise this morning.
You see, the cure for this sickness is Jesus Christ. I know today is a rather old story and it's a rather rehashed sermon. But if we don't continue to preach the gospel, men will live in misery. Men and women will live in hopelessness because every day we wake up and stare ourselves in the mirror. We look into people that are flawed and full of failure and we've got humanity and we've got issues that we're dealing with and we wonder, will we ever live up to it? Will we ever add up? Can we ever overcome? I want you to know today the answer for all of your problems. You cannot find it in a vial. You cannot find it in a syringe. It will not be created in a laboratory there is only one thing that will help a hopeless world and that is the good news of Jesus Christ and may the church always stay in the business of telling people the good news the gospel the good news how many are thankful today for the gospel there's a lot of people with their own idea about what the gospel is. The gospel is not just a social thing. We've got some people who turned the gospel into a social gospel. Now we got social prophets. As if somehow Jesus came to help you achieve your social issue and get your social platform going. No, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel isn't a financial gospel. Jesus didn't come to make everybody have everything they want all the time and he's not your genie in a sky you rub your hand on and he gives you a, a, a golder watch and a bigger house. No, no, no. The gospel is not even, it's not even a political gospel. You know, I'm, I'm so sick and tired of us arguing over who's right. Jesus is right. He's the only one right. He, he's not a Republican Jesus or, or a Democrat Jesus. He's heaven's Jesus. He, he's the Jesus that came to heal and to set free and to save the gospel. It's been hijacked and sabotaged in the name of us having our own uh, authority when we stand on our soapbox and we speak. But I want to get back to why he really came. Jesus came because the world was bound. Humanity was lost, separated from God. We weren't just decent people in need of a spiritual band-aid that made us feel better about our performance. Jesus came because we were morally and spiritually bankrupt. We owed a debt to God. We didn't have the money to pay. So Jesus paid the, the debt in full. And that's why you're sitting by people today who've been clapping and praising and saying hallelujah. It's not because they're Pentecostal. It's because they were on their way to hell and they know that had it not been for the blood of the lamb, they would not be alive this morning. Can I find somebody who is thankful that although you're not what you're going to be, you know you're not who you used to be because of Jesus. So let's preach the gospel. Let's keep living the gospel. Let's keep telling the gospel. Because this, this gospel, number one, is a gospel of peace. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15 says, 
that having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, what does that mean? That this gospel is a gospel of peace. Well, I want to first of all make sure you understand that when we say the gospel is a gospel of peace, it's not that we are promising you a life of tulips and roses and trouble-free living. The gospel of peace means first and foremost that we have peace with God. Peace with God. Look at someone say, neighbor, we can have peace with God. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you and I who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ for he is our peace that has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Watch this. Do you understand that when we say that this gospel is a gospel of peace, it means that you and I can have a wonderful relationship with God. This is a miracle because sin separates you and I from the Lord. How can I have a right relationship with a holy God if I am a fallen man? How can I approach the throne of grace and come boldly? How can I live with victory and know that I'm pleasing the Lord? When I know that my sin speaks loud and my failures sometimes trumpet themselves as if they define my life, how can I have a right relationship with God and be at peace with the Father? I'll tell you how. You have peace with God because of the sacrifice of his son. You understand that we had no moral ground to stand on when we came to the Father. It wasn't that God didn't love us. It was that God was just. God was righteous. God could not change, change his righteous demands to accommodate our sinfulness. So what is the answer for a man or a woman that is separated from God by their sin? How can they walk in peace with a God who their sin offends? I'll tell you how. Christ, he came, shed his blood, and washed our sins away. We didn't just put a Band-Aid on it when we got born again. When you got born again, it changed your life. It literally gave you a new beginning. The sin that you commit when you are a sinner and then you bring your heart to God and ask him for forgiveness and you claim Christ as your Lord, can I tell you that Satan may try to drag your past up and remind you of who you used to be, but can we thank God for one moment today that the blood has covered it all. The blood has washed it all away. We we are no longer offenders. We are now sons. This is a wonderful story. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. 
Paul said in the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, that if when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, I'm quoting this because there are people who will say to me, well, that was before I knew Jesus and I failed. What about now that I've known him and I've made a mess of life? Oh, I have good news for you. Paul would tell us in the book of Romans, if while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, how much more now that we are sons and daughters? of God shall his gospel not work in us oh I feel a bit happy in my soul today I'm thankful that I'm on my way and while I'm on my way the devil can lay no claim or charge against the righteous who is he that condemns it is Christ who died yea rather that is risen somebody praise him in this house today oh I'm trying to behave we have peace with God. This is a relational peace that we have because we have trusted in the sacrifice of his son. But I want you to look not only at peace with God, but in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, very familiar passage of scripture. Paul reminds us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Somebody say Everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. Watch. And the peace of God. We have peace with God that activates the peace of God. Peace with God is a relational peace. The peace of God is an experiential peace. Literally, because I am at peace with God, I fear no man. Because I am at peace with God, the, the, the vicissitudes and the trials and dare I say the viruses of life, they do not overwhelm me with worry and concern. I am not caught like a plane in the turbulence of a headwind. No, I have a, I have a foundation on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. When you have the peace with God because of Jesus, you then experience the peace of God. How many have ever experienced that peace in your life in some way? I know I have. There have been times when I should have lost my mind, but I had a strange heavenly peace that saturated my heart. I remember watching that peace of God. Come on, Devin. When Zion was born, I've told this story before, Zion was born with a prolapsed cord and the doctors and nurses were screaming and, 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 and I said, what's going on? It's 3 a.m. in the morning and Zion is coming and this is supposed to be a moment of joy and the nurse that had been telling me how good God was all of a sudden started using curse words loudly. And I thought, something bad has to be going on. She lost her sanctification in 30 seconds. And what was going on is that it was an intense moment. And we, 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 we knew. She said, sir, I don't want to make you panic, but you have seconds. Your, your daughter has minutes before we, we could experience brain damage. I want to tell you, at 3 a.m. in the morning, when I was about to have a nervous breakdown, wondering if my daughter was going to live, I looked at my wife, who was laying on a bed in the hospital, and when everyone else was frantically looking for a way to help solve this problem, I saw a blanket of peace come on my wife. I said, are you not worried? 
She said, God spoke to me in a dream. He showed me that he was going to take care of my daughter. Oh, I feel the Lord on me right now. I'm going to tell you in just a few moments. An atheist doctor walked into the room. He didn't even believe in God and I didn't even care. I just knew God had sent him at 3 a.m. to perform a surgery that allowed my baby girl to come into this world and she didn't come in with brain damage. She came in screaming like a little baby who had been given a blessing of life. I want to tell you today, you can have the peace of God in your life. When hell is breaking loose, let God be true and ever man be a liar. Has anyone ever tasted that peace before? It's a gospel of peace. And because I have peace with God, I fear no man. Because I have peace with God, I should fear no circumstance. Because I have peace with God, I can experience the peace of God. But not only is this a gospel of peace, it's a gospel of power. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, Rome, the intimidating epicenter of all that was going on in the New Testament world. Their commerce and culture on a collision course, and we see the, the different places and the different people, and we see all of the different ways of living and all of the different expressions of life that are happening in Rome. The poets sat with their philosophers and pontificated concerning wisdom. And Rome is filled with all of the greatest minds and the wisest of the wise. And Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, he says, I can't wait to get to Rome and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what verse 15 says. But verse 16 is the one we love to quote. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Some of you want me to calm down and some of us want to chill out and can't we just have a discourse and do a little talking? Oh no, we can't because there is a burning fire in my belly today for the lost and the dying, for those who are hopeless and looking for help. I want to tell you today that preachers need to stand back up with courage again and to declare that the gospel, we don't need to apologize for Jesus. I'm sick and tired of trying to apologize people into a mood to get saved. People need to be told that they're hopeless until Jesus comes and then life changes. People need to be told there is no help but in the name of the Lord. People need to be reminded that you can run to and fro, look high and low trying to find a solution to improve yourself. But the greatest way to deal with yourself is to cast it at the foot of an old rugged cross and plead for the blood of Jesus to send power and bring your dead soul back to life. Anybody know that there's power in the gospel? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said. It is the power of God. Someone say power. Word power. I don't always like to take you on a trip into the Greek, but written in its original language, the word power is translated dunamis. And you've heard this before, and if you have not, let me remind you, or let me inform you and tell you that dunamis is where we get our English word dynamite. Dynamite is what they used when there was a mountain in the way. 
They, they, they wanted to get through. In fact, uh, Chattanooga is, is a, the city in the south with the most tunnels. I don't know if you know this or not, but in the southeastern part of the United States, there is no city with more tunnels in its city and its region than right here in Chattanooga. And it's because we're surrounded everywhere by hills and mountains. And in the days of trying to determine how we were going to help people to be transported between places and get over mountains or through mountains, they decided that they would, they would, they would use dynamite to, to blow some of these um, holes in where we have these tunnels today. Just over in East Ridge, there's a tunnel. Over at Missionary Ridge, there's a tunnel. There's tunnels all around this community. And you wonder, how did we get here? They used dynamite to blow holes in the rock. And then they drilled to make the, the hole more uh, uh, pleasing and more aesthetically pleasing. And when I thought about the power of the gospel, I thought about hard-hearted men and women who sometimes we look at and we see the sinfulness and the depravity of our sin. And we wonder, is there any hope for someone like that? I'll tell you the hope. The hope is in the power of preaching Jesus Christ. Because hard hearts melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. There is power when we preach Jesus. Sometimes I think preachers, in our attempt to be creative, in our attempt to be culturally relevant, in our attempt to make it pleasing and, and accessible, we forget that if we'll just tell the good news, if we will preach the power of Jesus Christ, let the Holy Spirit do the work. It is not your persuasive speaking. It is not your cute presentation. It's why Paul said in the first, first book of Corinthians, the 15th chapter, when I came to you, I decided I would know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. Listen, for the preaching of the cross is to them who are perishing foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. Did you hear what I said? This is the explanation of why the church is so hated. The preaching of the cross is to them who are dying foolishness. How many have those people in your life, they like you except your religion? They tolerate you except when you talk about church. They put up with you until you start testifying about the goodness of God in your personal life. But you ever mention the name of Jesus and you can feel the weirdness come into the room. Why is that? Because it's an offense. When you preach Christ, you understand that when we preach Christ, we preach that he came for everybody, but he is the only way. And when you declare that Christ is the only way, you will offend some. And I just want to remind you that in this pluralistic thing that is happening on the face of the earth, it has become spiritually fashionable to hold hands and sing kumbaya as if it doesn't matter what knee we bow to what God. I want to remind you that there is a narrow way that leads to eternal life. Few there be that find it. Please hear me, church. We're not just worshiping one among many today. Baby, I found the only one that can deal with the sin virus that has plagued humanity. His name is Jesus. And may we always lovingly but courageously preach his name.
dunamis. Back to dunamis. When they wanted to blow a mountain out of the way, they detonated dynamite. And no longer did the mountain stand. What's the point? If you want to deal with the mountains of sin, the mountains of regret, the mountains of hopelessness, the mountains of despair, there's only one thing you and I can turn to to remove those mountains. You got to detonate the dynamite of the gospel. You, you, got, you can't, oh, but listen, we, we cannot pet our issues. And this is what happens when you don't preach the gospel. You start teaching coping skills. No longer do we teach victory. Now we teach just accept who you are. You can even change your identity and gender if you want. I, well, I want to change who I am because I don't feel normal in this body. Baby, I want to tell you, that feeling didn't come from God. He created you with a purpose, for a purpose, on purpose. Trust the creator and don't play God in your own life. Good teaching, pastor. When you don't follow the creator's blueprint, you create confusion. God is not the author of confusion. And today I want to remind you that, that, that if you say, Pastor, I'm, I feel like I was born this way. I was born an alcoholic. I was born a liar. I was born in homosexuality. There's no choice I have. This is how I was born. I want to inform you today that I agree with you. We were all born jacked up, deceived, liars, hell-bound. I was born a sinner. You were born a sinner. But I have good gospel news for you today. Jesus looked at a teacher of Israel named Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, if you're going to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be born again. I don't doubt that you and I were born screwed up. I just believe when you meet Jesus, he, he gives new life and turns it all the way. I'm not just a better version of who I used to be. I'm a new man. I'm a new creation. I've been made new by the power of his gospel. Somebody praise him in here. The gospel has power. When I think about the detonating power, that dunamis power of the gospel, I can never think much farther than a man who I still believe is one of the greatest Christians I've ever known. His name is Bubba. Bubba was a wife beater, a town drunk. He would just as soon fight you as look at you. He cussed everybody out, stayed drunk five days a week, ran around on his wife, lost his family. And one night in a nine-week revival in Athens, Tennessee at Woodward Avenue Church of God, Joe Sneed preached a message called One More Night with the Frogs. And that message is out of the book of Exodus. It's a story about Pharaoh coming before Moses, Moses coming before Pharaoh. And Moses said, when do you want me to tell the frogs? 
to get out of the land. And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. And it's a crazy scripture because you think if you're Pharaoh, you want to get rid of the frogs because they're overtaking the entire land. Not Pharaoh. He wanted to sleep one more night with the frogs. Joe Sneed preached that message in Athens, Tennessee, and Bubba sat on the back row of that church. He said, Kevin, my knuckles turned white as I grabbed the back of the pew, and the preacher preached hotter and hotter. He got to waxing under the fire of God. He said, something in my soul, I feel it on me right now. Something in my soul started to break up that hard place. Tears began to flow down that man's eyes. The baddest man in the whole town released his hands off the back of that pew, ran down to the altar, pled for Jesus to forgive him of his sins, got up a brand new man and 25 years later today, Baba is still preaching the gospel. Baba is still living for Jesus. Baba is still telling the good news. I think we ought to praise the Lord for the power of the gospel. I'm done after this. The gospel is a gospel of peace. The gospel is a gospel of power. And the gospel is a gospel for all people. I have good news today. Jesus will save any man or woman who will come to him and trust him as Lord. You say, Pastor Kevin, you don't know what I've done with my life. I have good news. The one who knows everything you've ever done is the one who died for you. Is that good news? I'm thankful that God sent his son to die for me knowing I was a hunk of sinful mess. You preach this kind of stuff and you think, my God, he's offending everybody. We don't talk about sin anymore in the church. We should never preach on sin to glorify sin. We should preach sin to remind sinners that they need to get out of sin. And the only way to get out of sin is to come to Christ and live. And the good news is God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Hear what I said? God so loved the world. For God sent not his son, verse 17, we quote 16, but 17 is powerful. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Can I tell you something? These people who make money and sow division by standing up in pulpits and telling everybody when a storm hits Nashville, that's judgment. You're more spiritual than Christ. You think you're more spiritual than Christ? Christ, who came knowing no sin, chose not to pick up the rock and accuse and kill the one who was sinning. And yet we have preachers, God help us, who stand up in the pulpit and release condemnation over the people. And I want to tell you, when the day of judgment comes, you will know it. But we are not living in that day yet. This is yet a day of grace and mercy. I want you to understand today that the message of the hour is not judgment and condemnation. It's turn to Christ and live. Turn to the Lord and be forgiven. Listen, if God wanted to get rid of us, 
He doesn't have a problem doing that. He could get rid of all of us. The gospel is for all people. I keep saying this for the last three or four weeks. I just think God wants somebody to hear it. Gospel is for the most screwed up, the most unlikely. I mean, we, we, we have turned the church into this, got to jump through our hoops. You got to make it past our red tape. The gospel is much simpler than that. If you've ever been confused, know this, Jesus it's in First Timothy chapter 1. I was worshiping this morning and the Lord reminded me of this. First Timothy chapter 1. Paul said to Timothy, and I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a hard-hearted man, but I obtained mercy because I was operating ignorantly in unbelief. Listen to this. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, worthy of being accepted by all men. Listen, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which Paul said, I am the chief. Who's your chief of sinners? No, no, I want you to think. Who is the lowest, nasty, mean, vile, sinful person you can think of? Who's your chief of sinners? Whoever that chief of sinners may be, Christ came to save them. This is why we preach. This is why we get on airplanes in 56 below degree temperatures and fly to the edge of the earth to tell 56 people in a town of 200 about a man who came to deliver them from sin. This is why we get on planes and get on boats and why we open up our mouth in the lunchroom at the schoolhouse. This is why we tell people that we work with and people that live next to us. And This is why we share the good news at Walmart between the chickpeas and the hog jaw in the frozen food section. This is why we tell the good news because Christ came to save everybody and whoever the worst sinner is you can think of they are not beyond the scope the reach or the touch of the power and the love of Jesus Christ you want to know who Jesus came to save look in the end look in the book of Revelation I'm done Brian help me the book of Revelation you want to know who he came to save look at the throne It wasn't the sophisticated, it wasn't just the southeastern United States. You know, isn't it amazing how some people think that the gospel only works in Tennessee, Georgia, Mississippi, Cleveland, Alabama, 
Florida, maybe. <laughs> oh, no. This is an international gospel that works for all people. I preached this gospel in Chattanooga. I preached it in Atlanta, Georgia. I preached it in New York. I preached it in Los Angeles. I've preached it in 48 states in this nation. I've also preached it in Uruguay. I've also preached it in Guatemala. I preached the gospel in nations and in places, and I want to tell you a report. Every place I preach the gospel, men who are lost and willing to humble themselves will come bow before him and find new life in the name of this man, Jesus. Church, don't ever get your heart closed off to people because you think they're too far gone. A church that ceases to evangelize is a church that ceases to be the bride. If you and I don't believe in the power and the peace of the gospel, if we don't believe it's for all people, we will spend our life trying to build big church and miss the big picture. The main thing is not nickels and noses. It's not pews and pennies and potties and parking spots. The big picture is people. Jesus came to save all people. I'll end with a story. A couple of weeks ago, everybody remember Jersey Sunday, Team Sunday, anybody remember that? Were you here, right? So we had Jersey Sunday, and uh, I'm, we're spiking footballs, and we're going crazy. How many remember that morning the altar got full of people who got born again, and they got saved, right? Come on, let's give God praise for that. And while we were having a celebration, preaching the gospel, and talking about celebrating souls coming into the kingdom, I was unaware that morning that a very precious homeless man was sitting in this building. He came with Miss Wendy, and many of you know Miss Wendy. She has an amazing feeding ministry here in the city of Chattanooga, and our church helps undergird her in that effort. And she has just a true heart for the lowest and the most forgotten in our community. And she feeds them every week, and we help her feed them, and we'll continue to help her feed them because we believe in what she's doing. But she brought one of these homeless men to church with her on that Jersey Sunday. It's the only time he ever came to church. That morning I preached on the gospel and I talked about how we would celebrate when one sinner, no matter, no matter if it was one or a hundred, this house would join heaven every Sunday. Every time some soul comes to Jesus and is born again, we would celebrate and make it a really big deal. And that morning, the altar was full. I believe like 20 people gave their heart to Christ that morning. And standing up here in that altar was Ray Lewis, not the football player, but Ray Lewis, the precious homeless brother who lives right down the road. And he came to church that Sunday. And we're preaching the gospel and we open the altar and we give an altar call and Ray comes down to the altar and gives his heart to Christ. And we're going crazy. Wow, Ray and 20 other people come into the family of God. What we didn't know 
is that later that week, Ray would die. Suddenly, he had been sick, but they didn't expect him to go that quickly. And yet suddenly, out of nowhere, Ray dies. Pastor Lee comes to my office. He said, Pastor, I want to let you know. And just like Pastor Lee does almost every week, every other week, every he's always visiting and he's always loving on people. And many times he's helping me preach funerals. And he comes to me and said, I want you to know this story, Pastor. He said, you remember a couple of weeks ago when we had Team Sunday and Jersey Sunday? I said, yeah, I remember. He said, there's a precious man that gave his heart to Jesus that day. He said, I want you to know that Saturday I'm preaching his funeral. I said, what happened? He said, he died unexpectedly. But we know where he is. This is the power. Say, Pastor, do you have to give an altar call every Sunday? Yes, because you're saved. But someone sitting on your row may not be. And maybe they're just waiting for someone to remind them how much the Lord loves them. I'll close with this. Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite preachers from yesterday, who is in heaven today, he preached Christ all of his life and pastored a great church. And this phrase, I believe it come from him. If not, at least he's credited with it. It's the simplest, most complete definition of the sermon that I've preached today. And it goes like this. Life is short. Death is sure. Sin is the curse. But Christ is the cure. And I want to tell you today, there is a virus in this world. And there is no cure for this virus except one man. And in his name, there is victory over the virus. Can we give him praise all over this place this morning? Stand with me. I surrender all. I Surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We're going to leave in a moment, but not before we pray for two groups of people. The first person that I want to pray for is anyone in this room today who would say, Pastor Kevin, I need that mountain of sin, of hopelessness, of helplessness. I need that mountain to be completely blown out of my life. I want the power of the gospel to come work inside me. Would you pray for me today, Pastor Kevin, that my life would be transformed and my heart would be changed? I want to be a new man. I want to be a new woman. And I want Christ to come and be the Lord of my life. If that's you, while your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, if I'm talking to you or have preached to you, if there's any conviction in your heart at all that you need Jesus to save you, when I say three, lift your hand. One, two, three, right now. God bless you, young man. God bless you, dear. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Everyone that will, here's how we do this in this house. 
I want you to look at the person on your left and right. You may have known them your whole life. You may have never met them. may have never met them before today. But if you know that Jesus is touching your heart and you know you want to live a new kind of way and you want to have life that is abundant life and you want to have joy and victory over this virus, freedom from its chains, in just a moment, I want you to help me and ask the person on your left and on your right if they need to come to the altar. And if that was you and you need that kind of blessing in your life, when they ask you a question, what is the question? The question is simply this, do you need someone to go to the altar and pray with you? If you'll ask your neighbor that right now on your left and right, do you need someone to go pray with you? If you lifted your hand or you know you should have, would you come stand with me this morning? I'm going to come down and I'm going to stand in this altar because I want to pray with anyone who wants to come to Jesus. If you want to come to Christ, it'll take a second to get out, but it's worth it. Anyone, thank you for coming, sweetheart. God bless you. Thank you for coming, young man. God bless you. Just ask your neighbor, do you need someone to go pray with you? And if you need Jesus, come on. They're coming. This is a wonderful thing. Come on. They're coming. Yes, they're coming. Thank you, Jesus. Can we thank God for the power of the gospel, the hope that is in Jesus? God bless you, sir. Can we sing that old song? I surrender all. Can we lift our hands and sing that to Christ this morning? I All to thee, my blessed Savior, sing. Pastors and leaders, come help me. Elders, come help me pray. Make sure they know what's going on and make sure someone's praying with them. Let's all sing that again. Draw closer to him this morning. Sing, I surrender all. Give him your heart afresh and anew today. Come on. room. I know these are praying and I want them to continue to pray as prayer leaders are walking them through the way to salvation. I want to open this altar for anyone who would say, Pastor, I need the power of Jesus to go to work in my life. Maybe you're saved and you love God, but you've got a family situation, you've got a job situation, you've got a, a, a situation with your children or your your marriage, whatever it might be. Maybe it's just you need peace, the peace of God on the inside. I want to open this side of the altar and this side of the altar for anyone who needs prayer. I want you to come and just stand and let us know you need prayer. Then pastors and leaders are going to come and pray with anyone who has a need. I don't want anyone to leave today who needs prayer without the, the opportunity for someone to pray with you. God bless you for coming. God bless you for coming. Pastors and leaders, I want you to come and join me. Elders, I'm going to need you to come and help me pray this morning. There are needs all over this kind. And I want to tell you as you're coming, Christ's power is not only available to save you, it's available to touch situations and circumstances in your life. And you don't have to bear this thing by yourself and carry this load alone. There is hope, there is help, there is strength in God. Leaders, if you'll come help me, people are still coming. God bless you as you come this morning. 
Hallelujah. LeBron, let's sing that again as they begin to pray in this altar. Let's begin to sing that again. I surrender all. Come on, sing it again. And I surrender all. I surrender. 